Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you don't have a, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything.
Hi, everyone. Two years ago, my life changed forever. My wife, Kelsey, and I welcomed our daughter, Leela, into the world. Now, becoming a parent is an amazing, amazing experience. Your whole world changes overnight, and all of your priorities change immediately, so fast that it makes it really difficult to process sometimes. Now, you also have to learn a, a tremendous amount about being a parent. Like, for example, how to dress your child. <laughs> this was new to me. I, 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 this is an actual outfit. I thought this was a good idea. <laughs> and even Leela knows that it's not a good idea. <laughs> so there was so much to learn and so much craziness all at once. And to add to the craziness, Kelsey and I both work from home. We're entrepreneurs. We run our own businesses. So Kelsey is a, uh, uh, develops courses online for yoga teachers. I'm an author. And so I'm working for home. Kelsey's working for home. We have an infant, and we're trying to, to make sure that everything gets done that, that needs done. And life is really, really, really busy. And a couple weeks into this amazing experience, when the sleep deprivation really kicked in, like around week eight, I had this thought, and it was the same thought that parents across the ages internationally, everybody has had this thought, which is, I am never going to have free time <laughs> ever again. <laughs> and this, this, somebody said it's true. Yeah, it's. It's not exactly true, but it feels really, really true in that moment. And this, this was really disconcerting to me because one of the things that I enjoy more than anything else is learning new things, getting curious about something and diving in and fiddling around and learning through trial and error and eventually becoming pretty good at something. And without this, this free time, I didn't know how I was ever going to do that ever again. And so I'm a big geek. I want to keep learning things. I want to keep growing. And so what I decided to do was go to the library and go to the bookstore and look at what research says about how we learn and how we learn quickly. And I read a bunch of books. I read a bunch of websites. And trying to answer this question, how long does it take to acquire a new skill? You know what I found? 10,000 hours. <laughs> Anybody ever heard this? 10, 000, it takes 10,000 hours. If you, want, if you want to learn something new, if you want to be good at it, it's going to take 10,000 hours to get there. And I read this in book after book and website after website. And the, uh, my, my mental experience of, of reading all of this stuff was like, no! <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have, have 10,000 hours. I am never going to be able to learn anything new ever again. <laughs> but that's not true. So 10,000 hours, just to give you a rough order of magnitude, 10,000 hours is a full-time job for five years. That's a long time. And we've all had the experience of learning something new, and it didn't take us anywhere close to that amount of time, right? So what's up? There's, there's something kind of funky going on here. What the research says and, and what we expect and have experiences, they, they don't match up. 
And what I found, here's the wrinkle. The 10,000-hour rule came out of studies of expert-level performance. There was a professor at Florida State University. His name is K. Anders Erickson. He's the originator of the 10,000-hour rule. And where that came from is he studied professional athletes, world-class musicians, chess grandmasters, all of these ultra-competitive folks in ultra-high-performing fields, and he tried to figure out how long does it take to get to the top of those kinds of fields. And what he found is the more deliberate practice, the more time that those individuals spent practicing the elements of whatever it is that they do, the more time you spend, the better you get. And the folks at the tippy top of their fields put in around 10,000 hours of practice. Now, we are talking about the game of telephone a little bit earlier. Here's what happened. An author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book uh, in 2007 called Outliers, The Story of Success. And the centerpiece of that book was the 10,000-hour rule. Practice a lot, practice well, and you will do extremely well. You reach the top of your field. So the message, what Dr. Ander, uh, Erickson was actually saying is, it takes 10,000 hours to get to the top of an ultra-competitive field in a very narrow subject. That's what that means. But here's what happened. Ever since Outliers came out, immediately came out, reached the top of the bestseller list, stayed there for three solid months. All of a sudden, the 10,000-hour rule was everywhere. And a society-wide game of telephone started to be played. So this message, it takes 10,000 hours to reach the top of an ultra-competitive field, became it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something, which became it takes 10,000 hours to become good at something, which became it takes 10,000 hours to learn something. But that last statement, it takes 10,000 hours to learn something, it's not true. It's not true. So, what the research actually says, if, if I, I spend a lot of time here at the CSU library in the cognitive psychology stacks, because I'm a geek, and when you actually look at the studies of skill acquisition, you see over and over and over a graph like this. Now, researchers, whether they're studying a motor skill, uh, something you do physically, or a mental skill, they like to study things that they can time, because you can quantify that, right? So they'll give research participants a, uh, a little task, something that requires physical arrangement or something that requires lear uh, learning a little uh, mental trick, and they'll time how long a participant takes to complete the skill. And here's what this graph says. When you start, so when researchers gave uh, participants a task, it took them a really long time because it was new and they were horrible. With a little bit of practice, they get better and better and better, and that early part of practice is really, really efficient. People get good at things with just a little bit of practice. Now, what's interesting to note is that if, you know, we don't really, for skills that we want to learn for ourselves, we don't care so much about time, right? We just care about how good we are, whatever good happens to mean. So if we relabel performance time to how good you are, the graph flips and you get this famous and widely known, this is the learning curve. And the story of the learning curve is when you start, you're grossly incompetent and you know it, right? 
with a little bit of practice, you get really good really quick. So that early uh, level of improvement is really fast. And then at a certain point, you reach a plateau, and the subsequent gains become much harder to get. They take more time to, to, to get. Now, my question is, I want that, right? How long does it take from starting something and being grossly incompetent and knowing it to being reasonably good in, hopefully, as short a period of time as possible? So, how long does that take? Here's what my research says. 20 hours. That's it. You can go from knowing nothing about any skill that you can think of. Want to learn a language? Want to learn how to draw? Want to learn how to juggle flaming chainsaws? <laughs> if you put 20 hours of focused, deliberate practice into that thing, you will be astounded, astounded at how good you are. 20 hours is doable. That's about 45 minutes a day for about a month, even skipping a couple days here and there. 20 hours isn't that hard to accumulate. Now, there's a method to doing this, because it's not like you can just start fiddling around for about 20 hours and expect these massive improvements. There's a way to practice intelligently. There's a way to practice efficiently that will make sure that you invest those 20 hours in the most effective way that you possibly can. And here's the method. It applies to anything. The first is to deconstruct the skill. Decide exactly what you want to be able to do when you're done, and then look into the skill and break it down into smaller and smaller pieces. Most of the things that we think of as skills are actually big bundles of skills that, that require all sorts of different things. The more you can break apart the skill, the more you're able to decide what are the parts of the skill that will actually help me get to what I want, and then you can practice those first. And if you practice the most important things first, you'll be able to improve your performance in the least amount of time possible. The second is learn enough to self-correct. So get three to five resources about what it is you're trying to learn. Could be books, could be DVDs, could be courses, could be anything. But don't use those as a, as a way to procrastinate on practice. I, I, I know I do this, right? get like 20 books about the topic. It's like, I'm going to start learning how to program a computer when I complete these 20 books. No, that's procrastination. What you want to do is learn just enough that you can actually practice and self-correct or self-edit as you practice. So the learning becomes a way of getting better at noticing when you're making a mistake and then doing something a little different. The third is to remove barriers to practice. Distractions, television, internet, all of these things that get in the way of you actually sitting down and doing the work. And the more you're able to use just a little bit of willpower to remove the distractions that are keeping you from practicing, the more likely you are to actually sit down and practice, right? And the fourth is to practice for at least 20 hours. Now, most skills have what I call a frustration barrier. You know, the grossly incompetent and knowing it part. That's really, really frustrating. We don't like to feel stupid. And feeling stupid is a barrier to us actually sitting down and doing the work. So, 
by pre-committing to practicing whatever it is that you want to do for at least 20 hours, you will be able to overcome that initial frustration barrier and stick with the practice long enough to actually reap the rewards. All right? That's it. It's not rocket science. Four very simple steps that you can use to learn anything. Now, this is easy to talk about in theory, but it's more fun to talk about in practice. So one of the things that I've wanted to learn how to do for a long time is play the ukulele. Has anybody uh, seen Jake Shimabukuro's uh, TED Talk where he plays the ukulele and makes it sound like he's like an ukulele god? It's, it's amazing. It's like I saw, I saw that. It's like, that is so cool. It's such a neat instrument. I would, I would really like to learn how to play. And so I decided that to test this theory, I wanted to uh, put 20 hours into practicing the ukulele and see, see uh, where we got. And so the first thing... Uh, about playing the ukulele is in order to practice, you have to have one, right? So I got an, an ukulele, and my, my lovely assistant. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I think I need the uh, cord here. It's not just an ukulele, it's an electric ukulele. <laughs> yeah. So... The first couple hours are just like the first couple hours of anything. You have to get the tools that you're using to practice. You have to make sure that they're available. My ukulele didn't come with strings attached. I had to figure out how to put those on. Like, that's kind of important, right? And learning how to tune and learning how to make sure that all of the things that need to be done in order to start practicing get done, right? Now, one of the things when I was ready to actually start practicing was I, I looked in online databases and songbooks for how to play songs. And they say, okay, ukuleles, you can play more than one string at a time, so you can play chords, that's cool, you're accompanying yourself, yay you. <laughs> and when I started looking at songs, I, 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 had, I had an ukulele chord book that had like hundreds of chords, like looking at this thing, like, whoa, that's intimidating. But when you look at the actual songs, you see the same chords over and over, right? As it turns out, playing the ukulele is, is kind of like doing anything. There's a very small set of things that are really important and techniques that you'll use all the time. And so, so in most songs, you'll use four, maybe five chords, and that's it. That's the song. You don't have to know the hundreds as long as you know the four or the five. So while I was doing my research, I found a, uh, a wonderful little medley of, of pop songs by a band called Axis of Awesome. And <laughs> somebody, somebody knows it. Uh, and what, what Axis of Awesome says is that you can learn, or you can play pretty much any pop song of the past five decades uh, if you know four chords. And those chords are G, D, E minor, C. Four chords pump out every pop song ever, right? So I thought, this is cool. I, I would like to play every pop song ever. So that was the first song I decided to learn, and I would like to actually uh, share it with you. Ready? All right. Girl, living in a lonely world, 
midnight train going anywhere. I heard that you settled down, that you found a girl, that you're married now. Every night in my dreams I see you, I feel you, that's just how I know we'll go on. I won't hesitate no more, no more, it cannot wait, I'm yours. Cause you are amazing, we did amazing things. If I could, then I would go wherever you will. And can you feel the love tonight? Cause it is with or without you. When I find myself, find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. No woman, no cry. I'm on the surely is a dream. I come from a London under. Once a jolly swag man camped by a billabong. Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy. Now here's my number. So call me. Hey, sexy lady. Whoop, 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 whoop. Whoop them Gangnam style. Time to say goodbye. Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Thank you. Thank you. I love that song. And uh, I have a secret to share with you. Uh, so by playing that song for you, I just hit my 20th hour of practicing the ukulele. Thank you. And so it's amazing, pretty much anything that you can think of. What do you want to do? The major barrier to learning something new is not intellectual. It's not the process of you learning a bunch of little t tips or tricks or things, the major barrier is emotional. We're scared. Feeling stupid doesn't feel good. In the beginning of learning anything new, you feel really stupid. So the major barrier is not intellectual, it's emotional. But put 20 hours into anything. Doesn't matter. What do you want to learn? Do you want to learn language? Do you want to learn how to cook? Do you want to learn how to draw? What turns you on? What lights you up? Go out and do that thing. It only takes 20 hours. Have fun. Great job. All right. Um, I, well, like I say, well, first thing, like, well, like I say, uh, this installment of It's My House, uh, it's the day before Election Day. Uh, let's see, it's titled, this podcast is titled uh, Sanctuary Cities and 14th Amendment Literacy. Sanctuary Cities and 14th Amendment Literacy, live stream number 619-768-2945. And I, I should have really saved this podcast for the month. I don't know, we'll, uh, we'll think of something for tomorrow, along Election Day, lines to be 
right on top of trending topics. But anyway, um, let's see. Um, now I'm on a new Chromebook here, so I'm afraid to upload new audio to this one. But when I get my uh, other Chromebook back, I'll upload audio to that. That way, I, you know, because I, I need to to <clears throat> to do. I, I need two laptops to really do this this podcast. Anyway. So today's topic, Sanctuary Cities and 14th Amendment Literacy. Um, sanctuary Cities. And um, let me see. Okay. Now, um, let's go with a online Wikipedia definition of a sanctuary city before I go into it. It's my house definition or version of a sanctuary city. Century, now, according to Wikipedia, sanctuary city uh, uh, refers to municipal jurisdictions, typically in North America and Western Europe, that limit their cooperation with the national government's effort to enforce immigration law. Um Leaders of sanctuary cities want to reduce the fear of deportation and the possibility of family breakup among people who are in the country illegally uh, so that such people will be more willing to report crimes, use health um, and social services, enroll their children in school. And in school... That means state-sponsored education. In the United States, municipal policies include prohibiting police or city employees from questioning people about their immigration status and refusing requests by national immigration authorities to detain people beyond their release date if they are jailed for breaking local law. Such policies uh, can be set expressly in law de jure uh, or observed in practice de facto, but the designation sanctuary city does not have a precise legal definition. The Federation of American Immigration Reform estimated that in 2018, more than 500 jurisdictions, um, including states and municipalities, had adopted sanctuary policies. All right, now that's from Wikipedia. Now let me go back to this and give the It's My House interpretation of um Sanctuary City. All right, let, let's go back to Wikipedia and I'll 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 induce where um the It's My House commentary comes in. All right, Sanctuary City refers to uh, municipal jurisdictions, um, and just to make it plain for people, because we got people that listen to this podcast globally, uh, municipal is, is essentially it's a city or a community of various shapes and sizes, population-wise, that has incorporated. They're a business. A municipal a municipality is a business. All right. Uh, Typically in North North America or Western Europe, um, 
that limit the cooperation with the national government's effort to uh, enforce immigration law. Leaders of sanctuary cities want to reduce the fear of deportation and possibly family breakup among the people who are in the country illegally. All right, let, this, this, let, let me read this, sentence, this last sentence over. Leaders, that means mayors, councilmen, all of them, once again, this is it's my house interpretation. Uh, leaders of sanctuary cities who want to reduce the fear of deportation and possibility a possible family breakup among which. Now, from it's my house point of view, the leaders of these so-called sanctuary cities, mayor, city councilmen, all of them, they could give two shits about whether a family breaks up. Morally speaking. However, okay, now let's read the rest of this sentence. Break, family, possible family breakup among people who are in the country illegally. Let's look at this word illegally versus legal. What it, now, once again, from a it's my house point of view, the distinction between legal and illegal particularly when it comes to government. And we're talking about you got the local government, state government, federal government. The primary distinction between what's legal and illegal is if the state, if, if, if that particular government, if that particular government is getting their cut their share of taxpayer money, their share of revenue from that particular individual or group of individuals or activity, if they get their cut, it's legal. If they don't get their cut, that activity is illegal. Prime example, or one of the prime examples. In the state of Nevada, in certain areas, prostitution is legal because the local municipalities and the state government of Nevada both are getting their cut of the revenue from the customer. Step outside the state where, you know, prostitution is not legal in most of the 50 states, then since the state is not getting their cut, and nobody has lobbied to get the laws on the books for that, is illegal. Another example, prohibition. <clears throat> uh, selling of liquor basically was outlawed. Why? From a Hitch Miles point of view, because governments weren't getting their cut. So Somebody got smart and said, you know what? We may as well get this legal so we can get our cut. And then alcohol became legal because they weren't going to stop it anyway. So with sanctuary cities, and once again, this is from an East My House point of view, sanctuary cities are essentially and um, let me get a list of these places. 
of um, the sanctuary city. That's what it comes down to. Once again, from an it's my house point of view. Because although uh, a, a, a person or a, an, an undocumented citizen um, is, so to speak, not legal, once again, legal means the government is getting their share of revenue from you. Okay, it has nothing to do with morality. All right. If they're getting their share of revenue from you, all right, everything's copacetic. Now, in the United States, and I'm, I'm reading from, you can get online and get this, there's several sanctuary cities. Okay. California, there's sanctuary cities in California, Colorado, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Oregon, and Vermont. Now, I'll, I'll break some of these cities down in a moment. Now, with these, those are some of the leading states out of the 56. Now, no matter of fact, let's just, let's go to some, like some of the cities in California that have sanctuary cities. Berkeley, California. Los Angeles, California, the city, and Los Angeles County, sanctuary you know, sanctuary cities and counties. You got Oakland, California, San Francisco City, San Francisco County, Santa Ana, California, Watsonville. These, that's just California. That's some of them. I didn't name all of them. Now, why are these cities, these local municipalities, these local businesses, municipal businesses, why are they cool with undocumented workers? Because they're getting their cut. These undocumented people represents revenue to local business people, local landlords, the local government. I mean, if they go out and buy a pack of cigarettes, they're paying taxes on it, the city's getting their cut. They buy a loaf of bread, the city's getting their cut. They buy some alcohol, a gallon of milk, get some gas station. They're paying the local municipality is getting their cut from the local undocumented person. And that's not going to stop, in my, in my, it's my house opinion. Now, the federal government trying to get their pound of flesh. That, the only reason why a lot of these people are, are bad-mouthed, you know, we don't want these undocumented is because the, we're talking about on a governmental level now. It's because the federal government is not getting their cut. Once legislation is passed, and it will be passed, in my opinion, once it's coming, sign up for uh, what they call it, Rosetta Stone, start taking Spanish lessons now because the day is nearing. And I'm sure they're working on getting federal legislation together to be more favorable for un- un- undocumented workers or undocumented people. Then, like I say, the only reason why undocumented workers are, and all because a lot of these politicians, including Trump, they're throwing out this smoke screen shit. 
Bottom line is, once a way has been opened for the federal government to get their cut, then what we call illegal today will be legal tomorrow. Simple as that. It, and once again, it ends miles now. So if you go online and look up uh, uh, what do you call it, sanctuary cities, I'm in Colorado, have several cities, including Aurora, California, Denver, Colorado, the entire county of Denver County, Colorado, um, Mesa uh, County, uh, Pickin, Pueblo County, Well County, in Connecticut, you've got East Haven and Hartford. Uh, in Florida, you've got, uh, they have two counties listed, but you've got undocumented work. Florida's got 67 counties. You've got undocumented people in all 67 counties. Um, Iowa, Illinois, Chicago, and Cook County, um, Kansas, man, look, just go online. It, there's, there's a, there, I mean, there's a lot of sanctuary cities in the United States. So once again, the bottom line has nothing to do with, you know, some people coming over, they have criminal records and we don't want. These people are, like I say, these local municipalities are earning, they're making money with undocumented people right now because undocumented are sources of revenue. Matter of fact, there's a classic book on economics I recommend everybody read uh, by a guy named Adam Smith. It's called The Wealth of Nations. And to sum sum that book up, The Wealth of Nations, it says the wealth of nations comes down to its people. It's not gold, it's not silver, or nothing like that. It's people. Because everything that a nation gets and creates, essentially, is done through, done through and by people. Undocumented workers represent revenue generation in many different ways. Many different ways. Um, with that said, going to... And once again, I, a lot of that is uh, what do you call it, the It's My House version of uh, or commentary on sanctuary cities. Um, just like Germany. Germany went last year, the year before last, they lived in a lot of Syrians. Now, Germany already has the largest economy in Europe. It's going to get, it got bigger when it, well, I mean, why do you think they let the Syrians in? Because going back to the wealth of nations, the more people, all these people are going to spend money. Spend money. Stop thinking about the term immigrants and illegal aliens and all these these terms that really don't matter. The bottom line as a municipality, and you got them on the local level, the state is a business. The federal government is a business. When everything's illegal until the local, state, and federal businesses, that's what they really should call it, should call it instead of governments. The federal business, the state business, the local business, when each one of those entities finds its way money out of that human being will go from illegal to legal. 
every practically every what we call government agency in reality is a revenue collection agency. The Department of Agriculture is a revenue generating, I mean, collection agency. The FBI, DEA, revenue collection agencies. Your local housing authority, revenue collection agency. Court systems, revenue collection agencies. DMV, revenue collection agencies. Policemen are basically nothing but glorified revenue collectors. Even if somebody kills somebody and they send the Texas over, basically that's a business, that's a commercial transaction for 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 that particular local. Because um, mur- uh, homicide is, for the most part, is a state revenue generator. You know, they find somebody, they arrest them, they're making money off. Every government agency is essentially a revenue. It, they call it different things, but uniformly, the bottom line with every government, name one that isn't. From the dog catcher all the way up to the president of the United States, they're different manifestations of revenue collectors in some way, shape, form, or manner. So, The sanctuary cities, Uh, and then, matter of fact, for some cities, because what what the federal business, or what a lot of people call the federal government, what the federal business is threatening what a lot of these local businesses with is, well, you know what, if you won't let our people in, because, see, when they send in, uh, what do you call it, immigration agents, ICE or whatever you call it, to arrest these people, the arrest of undocumented workers, See, that's their way of get. that's the federal business or the federal government. That's their way of getting their cut because the housing, the transportation, see, that's how they make money until the people that are undocumented, you know, get their politics together, and they're working on it. They're working on it now because, like I said, one day the undocumented people will be legal and documented. And we'll read a bunch of books and people on Oprah's network and how they went from this thing, how they, how they became an American success story, from undocumented to documented. Trust me, it's coming. Real soon. So now some people that are on a lower vibration, you know, um, they might not want to be living next to somebody that doesn't look like them. But for the most part, we live on a planet that's basically classism. You're not going to get rid of classism, as simple as that. But in any event, now let's go to the 14th Amendment real quick because um, let me look that up. Trump, um, I think he was talking about some executive order or the possibility of an executive order. Uh, And if anybody's got any comments, 
Uh, 619-7682-945 is the live stream number. 14th Amendment, hold it, let me read this. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to give you the, the It's My House version of it. Uh, this so-called... No, hold it, wait a minute. All right, amend, all right this so-called amendment... Uh, hold it, that's somebody else's interpretation. I need to get... Get my own... Uh, get a straightforward copy on this, wouldn't it? 14th Amendment. All right, wait a minute. All right, while I get me a good copy of this, give me about one minute, I'll be right back. Take it easy and talk this out. Now, if I may make a suggestion. Look, Uncle Woods, you don't understand, so why don't you just stay out of this, please? Lionel, uh, I know you think I'm nothing but what you call an old Uncle Tom. Well, that's pretty close. But what you don't realize is that in my time, back where I come from, being a Tom was the only way to survive. Yeah, well, that's nice. See, but I'm not interested in ancient history right now. Lionel! I used to spit out six like you before breakfast. So you just listen. All right. If it hadn't been for us old Uncle Toms, you young bloods wouldn't be around here today. I remember the time when we Negroes uh, had to... Uh, blacks. Look, Lionel, it took us a couple of hundred years to get from nigger to colored. And it took me 25 more years to get from colored to Negro. So you'll just have to forgive me if it takes me a little more time to get to black. The point I'm trying to make is, I agree with you, son. You what? And that was a little clip from the Jefferson. Anyway, Constitution, 14th Amendment, Section 1. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States uh, and the state and the state where uh, wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges and or immunities of citizens of the United States nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or deny any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. And that's section one of the 14th Amendment. Let's go to, let's go to this first sentence. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. <clears throat> now, going to the Donald, whatever executive order, once again, this all, it all comes down to revenue. All comes down to revenue. Donald Trump's first wife, is from what is now called the Czech Republic. And his third wife is from Sylvania, which, uh, well, I forgot what it, it was part, uh, used to be part of uh, Hungary, I believe. All right. Now, Donald Trump, and once again, we have to go back to revenue now. Donald, his first wife and his third wife, 
All right. Now, although he's a billionaire and he's got, you know, he can be, I guess, compared to most people, appear to be lavish, he even watches his pimps. His first wife, Ivana Trump, comes from the Czech Republic, Eastern Europe. His third wife, his current wife, also, now what does that got to do with anything? Basically, you can take, all right, with the, with the Czech Republic, because um, a lot of the, a lot of the workers that Trump used to build the Trump empire, not just Donald, but his father, came from Central and Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe is where it's at. Now, why? Because the dollar multiplies in Eastern Europe. For instance, uh, let's see. His first wife, Ivana, is from... Um, the Czech Republic, and let me look, uh, let me see. The Czech Republic, you have to look at currency for this. All right. All right. The dollar, the United States dollar, multiplies 1 by 22. Today, that's what it did. So if you want to get a nice, real uh, inexpensive or very affordable, should I say, European vacation, I highly suggest go to the Czech Republic where your dollar multiplies 22 times. Matter of fact, it's, it's, it, it goes further there than it does in Mexico. Now, his third wife, who's the current first lady, uh, she's from Slovenia. They're on the Euro. The Euro is, 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 is stronger than the dollar. But the cost of living, there's a website I want you to go to. It's called Expatis, uh, Expatistan. Now let me spell that for you. Expat, okay. Expatistan. XP. E-X-P-A-T-I-S-T-A-N, Expatistan. Go to that website. And on that website, um, you can compare the cost of living in any, between any two cities in the world. So home base for New, uh, Donald Trump is New York City. So I'm on Expatistan right now. So let's put in um, New York, New York City, and then the capital of um, Slovenia is um, oh, man. Let me put uh, uh, it's spelled L J U B L J A N A, L J U J A N A. Pardon me for bouncing. I mean, but but name. So let's let's compare the cost of living. Although Slovenia, their national currency is the euro. All right, but the cost of living in Slovenia, the capital city, and their capital city, as compared to New York City, is fifty-one percent 
less expensive to live over there. So Donald Trump, the, the Trump family, Donald and his father, okay, their connection to Central and Eastern Europe, this is Eastern Europe, is they go to places where you can, or they export or import things, including wires, that where the dollar multiplies, including a lot of the labor that built, that built the Trump empire, starting with his father. He used a lot of immigrant help. When, when Irish were dirt poor, when Polish people were dirt poor, even now, if you go to, to Poland, the dollar multiplies by three. That's not much, but it's better than you're going to get any financial institution here in the United States. The bottom line, that's why whatever Trump's talking about, Trump himself, he and his buddies and cronies, know where to go get affordable women for mates and wives. And more importantly, they know where to go get affordable labor. Now, while a lot of people, because when people talk about this caravan coming up from Guatemala, you know, and they're bad-mouthing, because they're always bad-mouthing people that are brown south of the border. While they're doing that, people are coming in and undocumented from Central and Eastern Europe primarily Eastern Europe. If you go to places like Ocean City, Maryland, a lot of people that you see that are working there are from Central and Eastern Europe. But nobody's talking about got too many Greeks coming in. Nobody's talking about possible criminals coming from Sylvania, the first lady's home base. Nobody's bad-mouthing Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic, as it's known now. That's Donald Trump's first wife. That's her home base. And she still speaks. All her kids, you know, the kids that she had with Trump, Ivanka, Donald, and Eric Trump, those three, all three of them, all three of them speak Czech. But nobody's bad-mouthing that. But the smokescreen is... Once again, from It's My House point of view, is the bad mountain, the brown people coming from south of the border. But see, here's the thing. The people from south of the border have friends country already. They have, they're bankrolling, they're bankrolling elections. And that's why I'm saying as soon as the legislation comes through, undocumented workers, will become legal and documented. And then I guess some people find something else to to, to argue about or whatever. So going to the, the 14th Amendment, as I read that first sentence, all persons born, I'll use one example of why legislation will be passed and undocumented uh, undocumented will become documented and everything will be cool once the federal government gets their cut of the pie. Arnold Schwarzenegger had a, well, he's had several outside affairs, but the one where he got caught was when he was, 
uh, let me be clean about it. He had an affair with his Latino housemate. See, there's a whole bunch of people, judges, senators, and governors, that are fucking the help. Oh, I'm supposed to be clean. But look, nothing has changed from 2018. It's the same shit that happened in 1776 and before. Thomas Jefferson was fucking the help. Arnold Schwarzenegger and God knows how many other people are fucking the foreign help. And sooner or later, legislation is going to swing on behalf of their children. It's as simple as that. That's how it's going to go down. It's always been that way. Let me go to the phone line. But that, once again, that's a, it's my house point of view. 407, your mic is open. Well, LA, I don't even know where to start because you're all over the place with this one. And um, Okay, let me start with the fact that President Trump has talked a lot about child trafficking, sex trafficking, uh, drug trafficking, um, weapon trafficking. Okay, so think what we're seeing going on on the border is all political. It's all political. You can't get all these thousands of people marching thousands of miles to the border without some financial help. Are we missing that? Hello? These people are walking with new shoes, new backpacks. CNN, CBS, all the new major news places giving us a full view of these poor Hispanic people who have no place to go. They go to Mexico and break down throwing rocks and, and injuring the police in Mexico, being violent. And they have, oh, they're so poor. Obama's saying, oh, we're so afraid of these poor Hispanics. This is a, a political game they're playing with us, the American people. And that's why everybody's so divided because they're watching CNN and getting one perspective of it. And those of us who don't watch major news and who are looking for other informa- sources of information are seeing the George Soroses and the Democratic Party who's behind all this. This is no joke. I mean, it's no co- coincidence that it's around the, the midterm elections. So it's not just that we are, people are prejudiced against brown people. I don't care who comes into this country if they come in without being somewhat disciplined and in order. But if you're coming in here with a violent attitude that you're going to break down fences and come in here and crash the gates down and demand and sue the president and demand that you have your constitutional rights, something's wrong with that picture. So this is all a setup. And we're all talking about it. It has nothing to do with who slept with a Mexican woman or anybody else. It's all political. So if we can just get that part out and, and then understand what's the, who, who benefits from this? Who benefits from thousands of Hispanic people coming across the border? The Dem- Democrats are we're standing right there with voter registration to help them build up the Democratic lion-ass Democratic Party. And there's a hashtag walkaway movement, big time, black people, white people, everybody is leaving the Democratic Party. Why are they doing that? Because they're tired of being on the plantation with the Democrats. So it's a lot to this story, and we can simplify it all we want, but it's deep. 
one of the things Trump is trying to do is get is reduce the amount of child tra- sex trafficking in this country. He said that over and over again. This is just one of the ways he's trying to do it is get this border, illegal immigrants and all that under control. But we're not going to see. And the Democrats, a bunch of, not that this, just Democrats, Republicans, pedophiles galore in the government. So we got to just uh, accept, I think, the idea that it's political, first of all. And then what do we as citizens do about it uh, on our, in our country, in our cities? What are we going to do about it? That's the question. And what are you going to do in your city to uh, offset this violence and this political craziness that's going on? That we got to look at it from all angles. And it's not, there's not one solution the way I see it. But individually, we have to realize we're being, we've been had by the Democrats, for one. Republicans are not that much better, but at least. We're seeing a president who's trying to make some changes, and he's triggering the hell out of everybody. And we all should just take a deep breath and figure out how I can stop being triggered. I, I posted something on Facebook that I want to end this comment with. Trump is like an alarm clock. Turn it off, rise, and shine. That came to me while this morning, first thing this morning. Look at Trump as an alarm clock. Everybody wakes up. Oh my goodness! And you, some people are throwing the alarm clock across the room and cursing it. And, and damn it, we got to impeach that alarm clock. No, I might. What came to me this morning was rise and turn it off. Turn off the alarm clock. You don't listen to Trump for a while, and just rise and shine. Whatever you're here to do, do it with all your heart and might. That's what this season is about: is doing your, making your assignment a diff, making a difference in this country. And that's my comment. Okay, um, so uh, now you're saying the caravan people have some dangerous people in it? Of course they do. That's George Soros and all these people who are funding this thing. You're in, your people are really no, no, naive. No, 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 I'm talking think... about the people. I'm talking about the people. What kind of people are actually in the – there's 7,000 uh, give or take people in the caravan. Now, you think that there aren't some criminal elements going to take advantage of this movement that people have created? Uh, of course, there's criminal when, elements. Okay, in wait, wait, all right, wait a minute now. My, because I'm going by what criminal really means. Criminal means if the government's not getting their, their cut of it, it's criminal. The government is not getting a full cut of sex trafficking, child trafficking, and all the other pedophile activity going on in the, between the borders. Every everything that you can, everything that you can, I, I'll give you an example. Okay, everything that you call, everything that you just named, on a vocabulary level, there's a different name for it. Okay, and, which makes it legal. For instance, <clears throat> slavery, which means the bottom line with slavery is working for no pay. Now, some people might say forced work with no pay. All right. But the, the, the operative here is no pay, which means really cheap labor. Okay. So here's some other words that make it, that are legal, that make things sound better. Interns, apprenticeship, au pair. 
You know, you're not, you're not pinging them. The way I see these people are there are there there people that are legal that are corrupt. True, on both sides of the barrel. The way I see it is this: the way I see it is this. here's how the my interpretation of the federal government, which I call the federal business. They're looking at these 7,000 people, not, not all of them, but depending on who you talk to, all right, these are seven. If I'm a politician, particularly in the border states of the United States, California, or, you know, I'm a mayor of a, a border town in Texas, California, Arizona, New Mexico, I'm looking at here's 7,000 potential voters coming my way. What can I do to help them? You can help them by but, insisting yeah, they come in, the, 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 in a decent, in order. That they come in in order, not with some mob. There were people well, interviewed on. on but that's what you call. What you're calling it is a mob. How are how are the the employees on the border going to handle seven thousand people trying to come in this country? Well, you know what? We need to hire some more people. Right. I, I would agree with you on that. But how is that going to get done in the time that in the month or so that these people are planning to uh, come across the well, border? How's know, that going to get done? They're hiring more question. people. You know that's what a good question. But remember the military, when, the military, when, when hold it, remember when nine eleven happened, they put up the what do you call it, uh, the Homeland Security, that federal agency. We're talking about a whole federal agency. And I was in D.C. at that time living. They put up that that agency on a super court. I think it's a great idea to have the military who are disciplined men and women who've been trained for to kill people to once in a while just go to the border and keep these people out for a while. That's a better option for me. To me, is these military people are paid employees from the government. Well, Trump has well, made a decision that he wants he wants well, to send on, the military there. I, look, well, hold on a minute. Now, I know you're not a racist or a red or nothing like that. But what, hold it. Define these people. Who, who the hell are these people? Hispanics from Honduras, Guatemala, Spanish-speaking people from the Central America. That's these people. Those are the people who are have been have been uh, pointed out in the in this caravan. The Hispanic uh, citizens are coming our way because they claim they want jobs and they want freedom and to get away from all the violence bullshit. These people are paid by people like George Soros and all the other um, um, left-wing people who are trying to embarrass Trump, who are trying to get more voters for the Democratic Party. That's the better um, better answer to why they're coming, Who who's paying them. There, it's not like I don't. I I have a Colombian daughter-in-law. I don't hate. I'm not racist. I don't hate I, Hispanic. I, I, I've said from the get-go. I said I know you're not a racist because you, you, your family is. Diverse. But when people Hopefully take money, do. when people take money from from or left-wing elitists like they've done in this case, then I don't have any respect for you. You need to. The, the Trump needs to do whatever he think is right at this point. And then as American citizens, we're divided once again. All those poor Hispanics, all, right, well, all they now, want to come right, in now. with their babies. Okay, wait a minute. Now, why, in air quotes, these people that you just named coming up from Guatemala and see the press is 
it's hyping them up and everybody's attention is on them. As I said earlier in this podcast, you have people from Eastern Europe. They come in airplanes okay. usually, and they go through the, the they go through in, immigration, and they get their passport, and they do all the things. Many people from south of the border fly into this country also. They're not in the caravan. That's all I'm saying. This planned caravan. It's a you planned, funded caravan. Every day you have flights from Mexico, every country in Central America, every country in South America that fly into the United States and they don't go back. That's not the, a the caravan, hijack. LA. You're missing, you're the missing my point. They're not coming in here more, with thousands more of people, people trying to look, break down the more borders. People, more people, just in Orlando Airport, which is near you. More people probably fly into that airport from South America, definitely the Miami airport, than on a day, well, if not a daily basis, a weekly basis, than that, that dwarfs any amount that's coming in, that's in that caravan of 7,000 right now. And we say, and bienvenido, bien, we say, bienvenido, welcome, welcome. You're coming through uh, in order, through obeying the laws. You're not bringing violence and rock throwing and bringing thousands of people with you at one time to overwhelm the employees who are working on the border. Bienvenido to those who are coming in, flying in, going through immigration, doing what everybody else does in this country when they come in from a foreign country. It's a big difference. Well, bienvenido to those who are coming in. This seven thousand now hold it, yeah. This seven thousand is not gonna bum rush the border control wherever they're gonna come in and at Mexico. They still gotta come That's in. That's what one they did in Mexico. That's what they did in Mexico. They broke down the fence. There's film, there's video all over the place with showing what they did in Mexico. They turned down the Mexican government for amnesty. So what's the what's their agenda again? You wanted to leave uh, Honduras and Guatemala and you come to Mexico and they offer you amnesty and they say, no, we're going to break down your gates and we're going to the U.S. border because that's what they've been paid to do, L.A. They've been paid to go to the U.S. And what about the, the what about the illegals and undocumented coming? They fly into Canada and then they walk, the US, they, they, they walk Bien, across the Bien U.S. Bienvenido. border and not through border control. And not through border they're control. Not being paid. I don't think they're being paid by Soros and a bunch of left wing crazies. Well, if you can get George Soros over here, let's hear his, his point of view. People know who George Soros is and how he operates. You know, George Soros is kind of like, um, uh, um, his name, uh, uh, Halliburton. Halliburton. Halliburton is a contractor uh, for the U.S. military who makes billions, millions and billions of dollars, but Cheney, Cheney was the CEO for a while. Then they get, they have, they changed it and they, they had, they formed all these other companies under Halliburton and they use names other than Halliburton because everybody knows who Halliburton is, the, the murderers uh, in the, in the military. So they've changed the name. George Soros does the same thing. He creates these organizations but people know who that George Soros is funding these organizations. So there's enough people doing their research, doing their homework, to reveal who's behind this caravan. We're not stupid. That's what some Democrats and the left-wingers think Americans are really stupid. We know what they're doing. We know their agenda. We know how they operate. 
It's just a matter of us well, doing why, our why job. Don't, why don't, all right, how, how, what about this idea? All right, we know there's a lot of money being made out there. So why can't normal run-of-the-mill citizens start a business and make money on either side of the table when it comes to this south of the border stuff? Because they're coming in. <laughs> they're flying in, and they like, so you got Eastern Europeans and Asians coming in. Their, their method might be, let's fly into Canada and then walk across. And they're not walking across uh, a, a border control. They're just walking across. Well, like they, you said, the first You really can supervise the, the borders of the United States is too massive. Well, that's a great idea. That's a good idea, L.A., but people got to take Spanish lessons if they want to profit on that. Everybody needs to be bilingual in this country if they want to profit in a business, in my opinion, or they have to be in a neighborhood where there aren't any Hispanics because they're everywhere now. So you have to have – it's wise, like you say, if you're going to make the best best of this situation – Take some Spanish lessons, hire some Spanish people, and open your business so you can include them as your customers and clients. Yep. Or workers or subcontractors. Them being Hispanic, uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, uh, Latina, they're all kind of names we can call our Hispanic brothers and sisters. Nobody's prejudiced, nobody's racist. Their culture is very different from ours, but we're adjusting. We're learning the language. We're getting better at welcoming our Hispanic, Latina uh, brothers and sisters. But when they come in here throwing rocks and breaking down fences, I'm not, I'm not for them at all. And somebody needs to do something about it. Trump, the the uh, alpha male Trump is in charge on that level. Okay, well, uh, uh, you've made your point clear. What Have about nice any, uh, any comment? No, wait a minute. Any comment on the 14th Amendment? Anybody I did born a show on that last night. I did a show on that last I, night, and I, my, I came I, to the conclusion. That show inspired this podcast. Yeah, and I came to the conclusion that the original intention of that amendment has been lost, and we have had a bunch of attorneys take full advantage of stretching that amendment and using it to their benefit and to their clients' benefit. So now we're at a place where we've got to make changes again because the immigration system is is out of control. And so somebody is suggesting one way to do that, and it's just a matter of time to see what happens next. Because that 14th Amendment, the intention was totally lost over the years of what what it was originally supposed to do. And now we're at a place where we... what, What was it supposed to mean? The original intention was to help slaves slaves become the citizens, have the citizen status, and their children have the status, and take away all the hate and the the negativity from being a slave. It was all about African-Americans Americans who were imported into this country. It was all about giving them rights, everybody else, but... The way it was worded can be interpreted by legal experts to do whatever the hell they want it to do. And that's where we are today. So we got all these cases that have been won because of the way they interpreted the 14th Amendment. Now we got a chaotic situation on the border. So now we have to do make some changes. That's what Trump is doing, trying to do, make changes. No, when you but again, 
when you say slaves, um, they were just not African slaves. They were Irish slaves and Scottish slaves as well. But the cases that there, came there up. There were also people that were over here on vacation, because nothing's really new under the sun. There were people that came oh. from across the land in 17-whatever. They came over here, met somebody local, and they got pregnant, and they had their baby here in the United States. Once again, that happens today. It happened in 1776. So that was an interpretation of, of the way the 40th Amendment is worded, and that, that anybody born is here is a natural That's the rule of law. You've got two children. I mean, they're grown now, but had you had your children in Russia, they could get a, they could have got a Russian passport. Well, That's I want to know if the law. I don't know if you mentioned this, but what is the law if you're you're married to someone who's a citizen? And can the case of um, uh, Trump, where he's a citizen but his wife is not, but when when someone is married to a citizen and they have a child, does that change? The the uh, way they use that law. I don't know. I, I all I know is because, like in, in isolated situations. Like if you marry somebody, if you're an American citizen or a citizen from anywhere, and you go to Liberia and marry a local in Liberia, you can get a Liberian passport. Okay, so I know that's that. That's all I know. So I think that's where the law needs to be clarified because everybody's bringing up Trump and his family in this situation. But I don't know if that's the same situation where you're these a lot of these Hispanics come over here. They're not citizens. They're not married to an American citizen. Pop a baby in the United States. Oh, your baby's now a citizen. That seems a little weird to me. Uh, just because well, you're let's born look on this at you're bringing up Trump because Trump is the Americanized version of Trump. Because Trump's German, his father, or excuse me, his grandfather, Americanized name from Trump to Trump, uh, because at that time, Germans, believe it or not, weren't even considered white folks. But crazy as that sounds in 2018, back then it wasn't considered white folks. Him, I was, they, were all, they just were, they weren't considered Anglo-Saxon, the Wasp type, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, okay? So he Anglicized his name to Trump. And um, his grandfather, um, he came over here. Matter of fact, the shit that Trump's talking now would be, he basically would be bad-mouthing his his grandfather and telling his grandfather to get out of the country. Well, you know what? We got to stop living in And going back, let's go back. You're talking about the caravan. Let me get get this up and I'll get to the point. This was just between the caravan and Ellis Allen. Ellis Allen basically, once again, the United States figured out a way that they needed cheap labor. They set up Ellis Allen where you had a whole bunch of Europeans came in from Western all over Europe at that time because the whole Europe was just dead ass broke. And they had criminals that came through Ellis Island. But once again, I don't criminals, criminals buy milk. Criminals have kids that need that spend money. Criminals buy loaves of bread. People, people, look, 
criminals are people. And whether they're legal or legal, whatever they do, morally or, morally or immorally, all consumers and the government on all three levels are benefiting from these people. With okay, Alice I, Allen, I'm... With Alice Allen, the federal government figured out a way, okay, but, I mean, because look how many people, if we, if we want to go with the mob, the, the Italian mob, they came through Ellis Allen. Nobody was paying the Italian mob to come through Ellis Allen, from my recollection. You're missing the point about these these people from Hispanic countries are being paid. Hello, paid. They can't travel from, you can't travel from California to Florida on foot and not have some money to, along the way, unless you got some social capital and you're bartering a whole lot on the way. That's almost the distance that some of these people are traveling on foot. They're being paid, L.A., paid. So you, you're not taking in the political aspect of it. There's a political aspect that totally skews this whole thing. And then when you're talking about, like I said, I want to know, I'm going to do my research to find out what is the law if you're married to an American citizen and you have a child in America. That, to me, is the difference and from just coming over here unmarried. You're not a citizen. You're a citizen of another country. You come over here, have a baby in a hospital, and then you ha- you're saying this child's a citizen, so I should stay here and get all the benefit. Everybody, every other citizen in the United States gets uh, social security or, or or food stamps and everything I need. I should be at- well to a degree. We want to be humane, yes. But when you intentionally come in over here to drop your baby and take advantage of all these benefits that American citizens are trying to get and working well, for, they're, they're, they're there's not, something wrong with they're that. Not, they're not trying to get Section 8 and EBT cards. They're not trying to get none of that we don't stuff. Know what they, we don't know what they're trying to get. I got plenty of Hispanics. These I know people of plenty are starting of businesses. These people are, everybody ain't starting a business. Some people are taking advantage of the benefits that the government offers. It's a, it's a diverse group of people with diverse needs, and not everybody's becoming a business owner. So it's complex, no, to, to say the least. But I want to know what happens if you're married to, it's different if you're married to someone who's a citizen and then you have a child. That's a family unit of one person being a citizen of this country and it seems to me they have they should be there should be different laws for that family versus somebody who comes over and they're a citizen of another country. Then the government, the agencies that handle that should help them get their citizenship, or help them do this legally, or help them uh, be more disciplined to be able to take care of their child, even though they're not a citizen right away. It's complex. No, never, not to say, but we got to fix some. Trump's trying to fix this. People don't like that. Hmm. Okay. Well, well, tomorrow's election day, isn't it? Yes, it is. Hmm. Okay. Well, two six seven. Your mic is open. Yes. Um. I just want to add my little two cents. I only been on the phone. Can you hear me? Yep. We can hear you. Okay. I only been on the phone for about ten minutes. Um, with politics, there could be a lot of political strategies in order to continue to divide the country, to divide the world, or to make an agenda appear a different way 
with technology than it actually is. So I take everything personally with a grain of salt. And when people are, quote, unquote, illegal, that means you didn't pay the fee that the government is missing out on by coming in and not the way that they say. And so a lot of people don't may not realize no matter what country you go to or you want to take up citizenship, yeah, there's a lot of procedures. But again, the procedures are in place for a lot of different reasons. And when we say things, because at the end of the day, it's all for division to divide, as they have always done, that we have to be careful because what we think is um, keeping other folks, regardless of the nation from which they come out, they're putting stuff in place. And before you know it, your ass might be shipped out. So just be careful and look at it from a political strategy Stand back and know what you know for sure, because a lot of things are said on TV and on YouTube and everything else that don't have to be the full truth. And even when we get to the full truth of things that are supposed to be in place, believe me, it's a lot of things that are not going by what's supposed to be in place and people being hoodwinked all over the place. So that's my two cents that I wanted to add political strategy, technology, you can say anything, look at anything, any way you want to, but at the end of the day, do you really, really know what's going on or what you're being fed to believe that's going on? Again, you make a very good point, Sister Bag, on what really caught my attention was shipped out, because I'm looking at the gentrification of Washington, D.C. A lot of people who, in my opinion, that's a whole damn podcast, <laughs> set that up, uh, which, in my opinion, were black, a lot of black folks. Uh, they have been shipped out of D.C., or they're being shipped out of D.C. Happy, happy November. <laughs> Where are your magazines? You, you oh, were saying, Beata? Okay. <laughs> oh, she told me. Beata, you talking to somebody else? Okay. No, I'm done. I was just for a minute. Oh, yeah, okay. I think Sister Sister Bay, have a good day. Sister Bay is absolutely right. Political strategy, technology, and knowing who, what type of information, where you're getting it from, those are all the things we have to consider when we make an opinion or judgment or whatever. And there's always, these days, there's always some political strategy being worked out. But in the end, to me, and Sister Bay, I agree with her wholeheartedly. You, we got to be very discerning and, and know truth and when we see it. And then uh, shine, like I said, trumps the alarm clock, turn them off, and just like, rise and shine at the end of the day well, or in right. the middle of the let day. Ask, we just got to rise and ask, shine. Because um, you two are from uh, cities that are uh, diverse. Sister Bay, now you live up in uh, the Philadelphia area. And Philly is parts of Philly to remind me of, like, New York City because it's just really the diverse city. Um, How do you see this affecting African Americans as far as living in a, in a, um, within the city of Philadelphia? 
Here's what I see. When it comes to the terminology that's used, black and brown people, believe me, if you're in that category or alleged to be in that category, we're all affected. So we have to, in my opinion, be very careful of what we say about our other brown and black people coming this way. Look at history. History repeats itself. For the people who were shipped here, who came here, who was already here, went through the same thing, still going through the same thing. So, again, political strategy is always to get you divided. And then before you know it, something's on the polls that's also taking away more of your privileges, which were rights turned into privileges. So, again, think about that very, very deeply. And by the way, my family background is very multicultural, and Hispanic is in it. Okay. And that's all I have to say. I yield the floor. Thank you, Sister Bay. And I would say in, in any area, there's several brothers on YouTube I've been listening to, several brothers, not just one, but several brothers, black conservative who have already talked about how it's going to affect African-Americans when we have an onslaught of Hispanics. Because one brother in Afro Synergy is his um, YouTube channel. He talks about how the Spanish were the first oppressors in this country. And he believes, and this is just one brother, and the other brothers seem to be saying the same thing, is that you're going to have more Hispanics taking the jobs of African-Americans because they're now the, a larger minority than uh, African Americans. So he feels, and many of the brothers feel, that the African Americans are the ones who are going to be affected the most when more Hispanics are migrating to this country. California, especially, is being affected. Could you identify that? The the thing is, when jobs are available and the competition is there, I see this even now. If you speak Spanish, you're going to get the job. Because of the global market that we have and we are in, more more uh, employers are looking for uh, Hispanic-speaking people. My daughter-in-law has a job for 12 months. She gets another one right away. She gets she's had about 13 jobs in like four years, and she never has a problem getting a job. Why? She's bilingual. Is how I look at. She's highly marketable. So if Hispanics come and they learn the language. And they're speaking. That's why we better start taking some Spanish. That my grandchildren you know, you, are going to be a, bilingual. You make a very, uh, you make a very excellent point because I know when I was uh, in the D.C. school system, um, mm-hmm. this was like nineteen eighty-two, eighty-three, probably eighty-three. Um, one of my students came in and, and she applied for a job at McDonald's. Now, this is 1983, 82, 83, somewhere around there. And she got turned down. Why? And this is in D.C., which was supposed to be Stockholm City at that time. She couldn't speak Spanish. And that was to get a job at McDonald's. So you're absolutely right. If you're going to be living in these urban these centers, you're going to have to, um, big urban centers, you're going to have to speak things. 
Here's here's a thought, LA. Yeah. Here's here's a thought. For the laws that are already in place that they decide or it's decided that they want to enforce, for example, most of the time, most Latin countries that come over or people speaking, they're not doing the jobs that, quote, unquote, black folks want, first of all, because the people who's been here are expecting to make X amount of dollars and not minimum wage. And if the laws are in place, they're not going to be hired unless they're hired under the table like they always been in the past. So any law that they want to enforce or they want to amend or they want to create, they're going to create that. And, again, it's a divide-and-conquer strategy. That's all I see it, regardless of who's funding it or what the appearance looks like. It's like that's too many people at one time to get them all set up that we can get some funds from them or take something from them because at the end of the day, believe me, those acting on behalf of the government is going to get paid. I don't care how many people. And, again, we have to be careful of what we think, of what it looks like to what it actually is. And the more people divide, that's why we have all this other racism going on, because these people are coming in to take your jobs. So, therefore, if you use that strategy, you're going to be against, regardless of what nation of people they come from, you're going to have a problem. Because even when people came over on boats or whatever, they, you know, they were against the Jews or they were against the Italians or they were against the Irish. It's the same history repeating itself. It's just a different group of people coming in at one time that have to fight to have a right for humanity. That's true. And I think it's just a matter of the way they're doing it now. People have always been immigrating to this country. We uh, imported slaves. We did. We uh, imported slaves of black no, and we, white. No, we, 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 not French. We didn't do that. There was folks who did that. <laughs> well, we is I not in it. I'm not in it. I am. I am. Because my ancestors were both black and white sisters. So I have to say we. My history goes back a long way. I have black and white ancestors, so I don't exclude black and white when I'm talking these kind of issues. So I'm sorry. No. So we, right. No, so do I. But what I'm saying, listen, what I'm saying is we didn't have the funding to do it when I say we, we. We didn't have we, the funding. When I That's say, all I'm when saying. When I say we, I'm talking ancestral. I wasn't back in 1800, but I had grandparents, great, great, great grandparents on both sides of my mother and father. So it's, it's a talk, unified you thing. It's, two different you have to talk about two different we. Yes, yes, about we are. The influence, we're talking about the influence of the government and the, of the establishments that have created the society that we live in, whether it was slaves. Or even, you know, you think about Trump. I, I saw a documentary about Trump's ancestors, his grandfather. That man built a lot of things in this country. He developed a lot of things in this country. So I think his ancestors, along with our slave ancestors, worked together in different ways to develop the United States to where it is today. But yet we're so divided, as she's saying. There's so much divide and conquer uh, action and energy going on. That we're all confused. Many people confused. Like, what? What's going on? What? What? Where? What is? Why are these people coming to the border? I don't understand. I. I understand. There's a divine uh, 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 activity going on to help us wake up 
and rise and shine. Instead of reacting, Let, so we a, should be rising take, uh, and shining. Another, no, let's take another caller here. Uh, Erico843, your, your mic is open. Greetings. Um, I just wanted to say, can I be heard? Yes. Uh, I just wanted to say that um, I've been watching some videos on YouTube and listening to a lot of conversations also. And this census is getting ready to come up, and uh, we really need to be mindful of what we put down as our status. Because it's interesting all of these things are basically taking place at the same time. Black, Negro, and colored. African-American, whatever the case may be. It's like a sister, um, I think she said she's from Philly. She's been saying a lot of things that I've been thinking, at least she's been touching on them. If we would honor our mother and fathers and stand on that foundation that they've created, then I think we would have more standing as a people. And if we would do these things, I think that would be also something that would draw us closer together. Because you're talking now Republican, Democrat, you know, um, Latin, all of these things. Even before Caucasian touched this land, this was one land, North and South America. We were always going back and forth. Same thing to Africa, same thing to Europe. We were always seafaring, traveling people, commerce. So we always innately, naturally business people on certain levels. We just um, basically have been lulled to sleep, and that's basically the problem. So I really feel that, just like the sister said, we'd be mindful of how we classify and category things that are happening now by alien forces because people who could wind up being an ally who have basically been allies to us from time immemorial could wind up being an enemy because of, you know, just like what was done to Haiti. Espanola, um, Dominican, that was basically one landmass because certain people on one side agreed and they became um, whitewashed, for lack of a better word, turned against those who, who resisted. And now those who resisted have less landmass and are still basically abused and downtrodden. That's all I wanted to say. Good example with Haiti, you're right. The Hispanic was, was really an island. Okay, for, for practical, real-life purposes, is one island. But you're right, uh, politically, it's, it's split. And uh, the DR, which is the Spanish side, is <clears throat> um, one way. And then the, the French side of the island, Haiti, uh, which is literally raped, uh, the other half. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's election day, so we'll, we'll monitor what's going on in real time tomorrow.